trauma, chest tubes, pneumohemothorax, um, pulmonary embolism, ARDS, and pediatric respiratory issues, epiglottitis, RSV, bronchiolitis, and croup. So it's a hefty one, y'all. <laughs> Buckle your seatbelts, because it's going to be long, but it'll be fun. Okay, so let's start with chest trauma. A big deal. Big deal. So there's two types of chest trauma we're going to be talking about. Um, it is both or either penetrative or blunt. And blunt pen chest trauma is like a scrape. Um, it's something that doesn't enter into the skin directly. And penetrative would be something that is like entering through the skin, stuck in the skin. Very bad. Um, so do you want to talk about fractures and flail chest? Yeah, so a flail chest is a fracture of three or more consecutive ribs. Um, you're probably going to see paradoxical movements when they're breathing. Um, you might see rapid, shallow breaths, tachycardia, um, decreased chest wall movements. You never, ever, with any rib fracture, want to strap or bind the chest because it limits the chest expansion. Um, I thought of something. Hmm. Can I add? Hmm. Penetrative. Never remove the object. Right. Because internal bleeding. Mm -hmm. Very bad. Don't do that. Just remember. Okay. <laughs> um, so, as the nurse, you can do O2 therapy, give IV fluids, pain control, super important, always pain control. Mm -hmm. um, but then you also want to think, like, they're already having issues with their ventilation, so... You don't want to decrease their respirations too much. Right. So, like, a nice little balance. Yeah. Finding a balance mm -hmm. is hard. Mm, it is. I actually, like, you know we talk about things, like, in theory? Mm-hmm. I don't know how to actually do it. <laughs> like, yeah, find a balance. Okay. <laughs> it's scary. I know. Um, I also have adequate airway management ventilation as yeah. well. Um, and then this thing can just be, like, surgically fixed. Hopefully, yeah. Um, you can also educate them on, like, pulmonary hygiene things, deep breathing, coughing, incentive spirometer use, super mm -hmm. important to prevent atelectasis. Mm -hmm. um, Repositioning onto the non-affected side, if possible. Yeah. But we'll get more into that. Um, so, do you want to talk about pneumothorax? Pneumothorax. Yeah. Okay, so pneumothorax is defined as air in the plural space, which, is that good? No. Very bad. Mm -hmm. Don't want air there. Mm -mm. So there's a bunch of different types. So the first one let's talk about is spontaneous pneumothorax. And the cause of this is a rupture of a small bleb, which that word, never heard of it. Neither have I. Bleb. <laughs> what so is a bleb? It's an air-filled sac. Interesting. Yeah, okay. I don't know. Um, so risk factors for spontaneous pneumothorax include things like smoking, um, being tall, being thin, okay, legend. Do you know how I remember this? <laughs> what? I think of my brother. Oh my god! <laughs> like a skinny, tall Male boy. is also... White is also... So, like, pretend my brother's white. Um, like a tall, thin... I think male, white male. Family. Smoker. Oh, my brother. Exactly. Yeah, Just yeah. think of my brother. Okay, great. 
<laughs> um, also, risk, risk factors include, include previous spontaneous pneumothorax, so if it's happened before, likely to happen again. Um, comorbidities like COPD, asthma, cystic fibrosis, pneumonia. So those are the risk factors of that. Um, let's next talk about iatrogenic pneumothorax. So causes of this are from like a medical procedure. So if you're having surgery and a lung becomes like punctured and air fills into the pleural space, that would be iatrogenic. Um, examples of this are like barotrauma from excessive pressure ventilation from ventilation. So like in class, we had a photo of people with like really puffy upper face and chest. So it's like excess air, not only in the pleural space then, but it escapes too. Um, tearing of the esophageal wall during gastric insertion. That mm. can be an example. Pleural biopsy. Mm, okay. The next one is a traumatic penetrating pneumothorax. So this happens when air enters the pleural space through an opening in the chest wall. And this can be called a sucking chest wound. I'm doing air quotes. Um, so like an example of this, can you give one? Like if you were stabbed, there was like a hole and it collapsed. Like mm -hmm. is that, do you think? Like a knife yeah. right through yeah. the chest wall? Um, so treatments for this, for like short term, apply a vent dressing and don't remove the impaled object. We already talked about that. Never um, an occlusive dressing on a traumatic, penetrating. Right. Yeah. Because you don't want, like, the negative pressure to, like, collapse the lung. It'll cause a... Atelectasis. Tension pneumothorax. Mm -hmm. Not atelectasis. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, next, we have a traumatic blunt closed pneumothorax. And that's when there's no external wound, but there's an alveolar rupture. Are there treatments for this? Yeah. Chest tube. Okay. All of them. All of them you can have a chest tube with. Mm -hmm. That's what you need. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, next. Tension pneumothorax. Which Bad. Is like... X, red, medical okay. emergency. Okay, 911. We have an emergency. <laughs> Please don't put us on hold. This is a medical emergency. I don't have time to wait. Okay, <laughs> cause. What's the cause? Um, there's like an accumulation of air in the pleural space that won't escape. Okay. Sometimes it's caused by, like, a clamp in the chest tube, which is oh. why we do not clamp the chest tube. Right, because air can't move. Yeah. Okay. It just builds up in there. And then it it just causes all sorts of bad things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so, some signs and symptoms. Severe dyspnea. Marked tachycardia. Decreased or absent breath sounds. Very bad. Neck vein distension. Cyanosis profuse diaphoresis, and severe hypoxemia. Okay, so we also have, like, all these cardiac symptoms. Yeah. Um, why is that with the tension pneumothorax? Why is that? Compresses the heart. The lungs do. Yeah. Because when they're swelling, yeah. they're, like, pressing in on the heart because mm -hmm. it sits right in between them. Or it below them. Right? I don't know the anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> MP was a couple of years ago. <laughs> okay, no, so... No, for it, good nurses. Um, okay. Um, so those are the types, causes, risk factors. Um, what do you want to talk about next? Do you want to talk um, about... Wait, with the tension pneumothorax, you do the chest tube, but yeah. what do you do before the chest tube? We will do, this is a very invasive procedure, needle decompression. Do you know why? 
Why? I don't know why. I'm asking. Oh, no. Okay, me neither. I think it's to get the excess I, it gets air the out. air out, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Smart. <laughs> um, also, another symptom is that the trachea is going to deviate on the unaffected side. Right. That makes sense. Because mm-hmm. if air is pushing, it's going to go away from, like, the expanded area. Okay, do you want to talk about some... There's a couple of things I have for collaborative care, like we already mentioned. So, like, thoracentesis, chest tubes. Yeah. Um, Urgent needle compression, like we decompression, like we just talked about. Yeah. Um. So yeah, pretty much treatment is a chest tube insertion. Yeah. With a chest drainage system. Right. So let's talk about chest tubes. Okay. Um. So what are we going to be assessing as the nurse? Drainage. Right. Titling. Mm-hmm. Is that good or bad? Titling. Great. What does that mean? Titling means like. Their breaths are rising and falling with the ventilator. Or with, like, from what I understand it in a video I watched, titling means, like, while they're breathing, there's air moving in and out. It's like normal fluctuation in the water. Yeah, it's like a seal in the water. Because it comes from the water seal chamber. Water seal chamber, you want titling. And I think of, like, a seal, like, in the bay, in the ocean, going up and down with the tide. Yeah. Okay. Like, in the tide. Was, oh, okay. Mm, yeah. Aw. It's kind of an easy way to remember it. Yeah. But, with the suction chamber, we want to see continuous bubbling. In the suction chamber. Correct. No but what about the what about the water seal chamber? No, no, no. We don't want that. Be we, bubbling bad. Be bubbling very bad. Yeah. What you does it only, mean? It means there's a leak. Okay. So, you only want bubbling in the suction chamber. And you only want titling in the water seal, like the animal chamber. Mm-hmm. Right. Collection chamber is another part of the of the chest tube drainage system. So um, what we need to report right away is right, bright red blood if it's post one hour of the placement. Because that can mean an active bleed. Very bad. What if it's a hemo? Okay, so... Um, you also want to assess the patient's vital signs, lung sounds, pain, um, look at the site of the chest tube insertion, um, make sure there's no infection, um, which, so you would see, like, a fever, increased white blood cells, um, never elevate the system above the chest, never clamp it. If there is a break in the system, you can place the distal end in sterile water to maintain the water seal. Um, you should be measuring the fluid levels and note the time. If there's more than 100 milliliters per hour of drainage, you need to report that to the healthcare provider. Um, and then sterile technique during dressing changes, and you should be using an occlusive dressing for that. Some complications that you want to monitor for. So, re-expansion pulmonary edema or like severe symptomatic hypotension can occur when there's a rapid fluid loss or um, removal of blood. Subcutaneous emphysema is, it can be normal if there's a little bit at the insertion site. It's just like an air leak around the tissue. Um, But if it's like a lot, it could compromise the airway Mm -hmm. and it feels like bubble wrap yeah under the skin yeah there's like a crackling sensation when Mm -hmm. you're palpating the skin um and then you could also have a vasovagal response um 
And then we also kind of just want to touch on hemothoraxes. So that's when there's an accumulation of blood in the pleural space. Mm -hmm. You can have a hemoneumothorax. Yes. Um, signs and symptoms, pretty similar to a regular pneumothorax, except you could have decreased hemoglobin. Um, and there's going to be like a dullness when you percuss. Mm. Um, same tra treatment, you put in a chest tube, but you can also do an auto transfusion. Yeah, that's blood. what we talked about earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you can treat the hypovolemia with IV fluid or, um, packed with blood cells. Okay, so let's finish talking about chest tubes with the removal of a chest tube. So when the lungs have re-expanded and drainage becomes minimal is when we're going to think about removing the chest tube. Um, some things we want to do prior to the removal is pre-medicate the patient. It can be painful and we don't want it to cause any vital sign symptoms in the patient. Hyperventilation, increased respiration, BP, all that. And another thing we want our patients to do is to hold their breath when we're removing the chest tube. Um, this helps keep the chest wall inflated, I'm assuming, so they're not like retracting and breathing while we're trying to do it. So we want them, as best as they can, to either hum or hold their breath. Anything to say? Thank you. I'm just testing that. Oh, okay. I think am I really not breathing when I hum? Right. <laughs> Can't yeah. do it. Okay, next, let's talk about pulmonary embolism. Yeah. Okay, so PEs, what are they? It's like a clot in the lungs, mm -hmm. messes with perfusion. Yeah. Um, so... Big risk factors. Yeah, big risk, big risk factors, um, immobility, surgery, um, a history of a DVT, a deep vein thrombosis, that's what forms the clot, and then it travels to the lungs. Oral birth control, actually, interesting. Um, smoking, prolonged air travel, heart failure, pregnancy, clotting disorders, AFib. So, most PEs come from a DVT, right. more than 90%. Yeah. Um, the signs and symptoms are tricky because they're so nonspecific and variable, Oftentimes they'll have dyspnea, they'll have like sudden onset of chest pain, and they'll often like be fearful or like have this feeling of impending doom. Yeah. Um, and hypoxemia. Yes. Yeah. Um, so diagnostic studies, shall we talk about that? Yeah. So ABGs, good one. But they're usually normal. Okay, so maybe not a good one. Not as not as definitive. They might be they might they might be in respiratory alkalosis because they're scared, hyperventilating. Right. So we could do a chest X ray. What else? ECG, BMP. Um so those are all pretty non specific. Yeah. There's also the D dimer, mm -hmm. which is also like a lot of false negatives because it's not specific and it's not sensitive. Yeah. They won't catch like a small clot. Um, but it'll be elevated if they have a PE. Yeah. Um, so you can do the spiral CT scan, um, which requires IV contrast media. Um, this is the most common test, but it's contraindicated in a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. So tell me the contraindications. 
Um, contraindications for the vir- viral spiral CT would be if they're on metformin, if they're allergic to the contrast dye, um, if they're pregnant, obviously you're not going to do a CT scan, um, renal disease, and if they are taking radioactive iodine for, for thyroid disease. Yes. Um, so if they can't do the CT scan, then you'll just give them, they'll do a BQ scan, um, which has two parts. So there's like a perfusion and ventilation. Um, and then the most invasive is a pulmonary angiography. 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 <laughs> pulmonary angiography. Yeah. It is the most sensitive test, but super invasive. Right. Um, what risks does it put them for? Not sure. Bleeding risk. Infection risk. Yeah. That's it? I think there's some more. <laughs> okay. Um, let's talk about collaborative care, shall we? Yeah. So prevention of a PE is key. So this can mean catching a DVT early. So what does a DVT look like? Like how would you how would you notice that? If there's like unilateral swelling, redness, redness, yeah, pain. So we could also do um, sequential compression devices, early ambulation, like after therapy, and a prophylactic anticoagmed. Um, goals of treatment are prevent further thrombo, thrombo um, embolus forming and prevent the embolus from traveling. So. Um, so anticoagulation, um, you can give them like a low weight molecular heparin or IV heparin or warfarin. Mm -hmm. Sometimes heparin can be used as a bridge to warfarin because warfarin has a delayed like onset. Yeah. Um, sometimes you can give them TPA, which is like a clot buster, but that is like high risk for bleeding. And it's also not preventative. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so for IV heparin, loading dose is 5,000 to 10,000 units, and then you do 1,000 to 1,500 units per hour. Um, you need to be monitored, monitoring APTT if they're on heparin, Q6 hours, um, and it should be at around like 50 to 70-ish hours. Um, if it's more than 100 seconds, they've got a spontaneous bleed. Wait, did you mean 50 to 70 seconds? Mm-hmm. You said hours. Oops. <laughs> Seconds, not hours. <laughs> hours, they're dead. Yeah, correct. Um, okay, if it's a hundred more than 100 seconds, what are you going to give them? <gasps> I know it. Protamine sulfate. Yes. Because it's the antidote for heparin. Yes. Okay. Warfarin, what lab value are you monitoring? Warfarin, PTINR. Yes. Two to three seconds. Okay, and if it's, what's the antidote for warfarin? Vitamin K. Queen. Oh my god. <laughs> um, there's like a lot of complications and contraindications. I don't think for this guy. Yeah. Bleeding, hematoma, bruising. Yeah. Um, there's also, you can do surgical therapy um, to remove the PE if it's massive. Remember him talking about that. Oh, there's another thing. Inferior vena cava filter. So these little devices catch clots in the veins from traveling into the back to the lungs 
So they don't bust them. They don't do anything except catch them, basically. They look like little spiders. Um, for patient education, when you're discharging the patient, you want to teach them about like how to prevent DVT. Mm-hmm. Um, following up on INR and APTT, super important. Yeah. And like the importance of keeping up with your medication regimen. Yeah. And taking it as prescribed. Um, usually they'll be on warfarin long term, like up to three months or longer. Yeah. I also have some nursing management, so like while they're in, semi Fowler's position is really good. Um, IV access for meds and fluid, oxygen therapy is needed, um, frequent assessments, monitoring labs, and emotional support as well. That's about all that I have on PEs. What about you? Um, me too. Okay. If hypoxemia is present mm-hmm. and you give oxygen not working, mm-hmm. what are you going to move on to? Intubation. Yeah. Oh, pulmonary hygiene, turn, cough. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to ARDS, or Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome. So this is an acute form of respiratory failure. Um, widespread alveolar capillary injury with non-cardiac pulmonary edema. So this is the difference between ARF and ARDS, isn't it? Because acute respiratory failure can like have cardiac effects. Okay, with ARDS, you have some early symptoms. You'll see, like, restlessness, tachypnea, dyspnea, cough, diaphoresis, low SVO2. Um, And then, as it progresses, big hallmark sign is refractory hypoxemia, which is basically O2 doesn't get um, better. It's unresponsive to oxygen levels. So no matter how much oxygen you're giving them, um, their PaO2 just continues to decline. They'll have, like, extreme tachycardia, dyspnea, retractions, confusion, um, cyanosis, and, like, diffuse crackles upon auscultation. Yeah. Um, do you know what their chest x-ray looks like? Cotton candy. Indeed. Yeah. It's really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, some manage- nursing management, uh, possible ET or mechanical ventilation um, to prevent alveolar collapse. Need to monitor for decreased cardiac output when this happens, when we intubate. Why? Because it causes decreased cardiac output. Intubation? Oh, why does it decrease cardiac output? Tell me why. Because you're putting them on, like, a really high peep. Like. So it's compressing the heart. So peep decreases cardiac output. Right. Yeah. That's why we have to monitor it. Yeah. Okay. We also need to monitor for urinary output and dysrhythmias. Uh, monitor for barotrauma. Why are we monitoring for ur- urinary output? Tell me why. Because renal failure can occur when you have decreased cardiac output. Because they're not getting perfused. Mm-hmm. Okay. Monitor for barotrauma, so sub-Q emphysema, and tension pneumothorax. Some things we want to do are change the position frequently from supine to prone, maintain a fluid balance, um, anticipate packed red blood cell transfusion if hemoglobin is low, um, enteral or parenteral nutrition, possible surfactant therapy, maybe, emotional support, and like Isra said, diagnostic chest x-ray. That's about it for ARDS, right? Mm-hmm. It's pretty straightforward. 
Okay, so we are near the end of our exam review. We're gonna finish it up with peds and different respiratory issues in the pediatric population. Um, let's start with epiglottitis, shall we? Yeah. Okay. So this is- How do you say it? Epiglottitis. Epiglottitis. Mm -hmm. Epiglottis. No. Oh. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Um, so this is severe, rapidly progressive, and life-threatening. Um, we never, what do we never do? Examine the throat. Never, never, never. Because, why? It's dangerous. If they're, if they're having an epiglottitis, that means their airway can be really inflamed. If they open it, it can like occlude the airway. So we don't mm -hmm. want that. Very mm -hmm. bad. Never examine the throat. Don't do that. Um, so some manifestations of epiglottitis. High fever. Sometimes elevated white blood cell. Irritability in the child. Sore throat. Really sore throat. Inspiratory strider. A muffled voice. And severe... Dysphonia. Dysphonia, yep. And severe respiratory distress. So the four Ds to epiglottitis, to remember... Dyspnea, drooling, dysphonia, and dysphagia. Um, treatments for this. How do we prevent it? H that's what I was going to get to. Hmm. HIB, vaccine. Hmm. Um, some treatments are emergency airway openings. So like, what exa examples of that? Like a trach? Yeah, intubation. Yeah. Um, antibiotics? Yeah. Okay, let's say I need to give an IV antibiotic. What should I do first? Give the IV antibiotic or intubate? Intubate. Yes. 100%. Airway. So tell me why we intubate first. Okay, so if you're trying to get an IV in a kid, mm -hmm. what are they gonna probably going to be doing? Cry, 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 cry. Pain. Yeah. Scared. Yeah. So intubate first because if they're crying, they're anxious, it's yeah. just going to like... Make them cry more. Yeah, constrict their airway more. Yeah. That's dangerous. Okay, so intubate first, but it's the opposite in adults. I think, yeah. Usually want, like, an IV line. Ready to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Do you have anything else to say about epiglottitis? Well, with kids, you just want to always decrease their anxiety. Yeah. Um, use O2. Can use a epinephrine treatment, yep. nebulizer treatment. Yeah, epi, epi. We do an antibiotic. Yep. yep. Um. Okay. Let's talk about RSV. It's like one of the. It's like the virus that causes a couple of these. So it's just kind of an overview. Um, RSV affects the lungs and respiratory system of neonates, especially preemie infants. Um, treatments for RSV. Bronchodilators, steroids, humidified air. Um, also, we want to put them on droplet precautions because highly contagious. So, what is droplet precautions? What am I wearing? Not sure. Gown, glove, surgical mask that's fluid rated. Great. Next, bronchiolitis, which is caused by RSV. Um, manifestations include rhinorrhea, a really tight cough. Decreased appetite, lethargy, fever, wheezing, tachypnea, intercostal retractions, cyanosis, it's a lot. Um, interventions, O2 supplement, 
medications, IV fluids, raise the head of the bed. Like I said, drop it precautions, I know and daily weight, and promote rest and do cluster care. Or nasal suction before you feed them. Okay. Anything else? Mm. No? Okay, finally we have croup. And croup is a cough that kind of sounds like a seal that's barking. Like really high pitched. Can you do the cough? Or do no. I think it's a little deeper. No, no. Like, like deep, like no deeper. My voice only goes so deep. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure if it sounds like that, but I, um, I'm willing to go with it. Let's put, pull up a recording. Okay. Let's look up a croup cough. Okay, so here is an example of what croup can sound like. Let's see if it's similar to Isra's. I think that's pretty similar. That's what I was going for in my head. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, yeah, sh okay. So it's pretty scary and kids can become frightened by it. Like it doesn't, it's not very good sounding. Um, so manifestations, like, a, like I said, barking cough, it often occurs at night and increases in the fall and the winter. Uh, pediatric patients can have a slight fever, retractions and restlessness. Um, do you have anything for assessment? Um, closely monitor their respiratory status. Yeah. Um, so like normal vitals for a kid mm -hmm. should be aware yeah. of like what would be normal. Mm -hmm. Um, you can give like cool mist or cold, like cold night air. Mm -hmm. It can help relieve spasms. Um, O2 and then the aerosolized, um, epinephrine. Um, but just be aware that that can cause side effects like tachycardia, hypertension, yeah. headache. Yeah. And you can also give a corticosteroid, mm -hmm. dexamethasone. Yep. And with every corticosteroid, you get an increase in blood glucose usually. Yeah. So be aware of that and like your diabetic patients. So for body aspiration, kids have like small airways. If rule of thumb... If the toy or the food or the whatever fits into a toilet paper roll, it's probably unsafe. Um, so they're at a high risk for aspiration. They can aspirate on like balloon pieces. You know what gives me anxiety? Hot dogs. Work, hot dogs, that's scary too. <laughs> but I used to work at a birthday party place, like a little really? Pump, it up, Pump It Up Junior oh my in God. high school. Shout out. Hey, y'all, shout out Pump It Up Junior. I think they're closed. COVID really. Oh. Yeah. But anyways, the... <laughs> And they would all be running around yeah. with these balloons. Yeah. And they would, like, put them in their mouths. Like, what if that popped and then went into oh, their, you know? Yeah. I would just get really stressed. I think about Legos. Oh. Real small. Mm. Scary. Yeah. Um. So, anyway. Yeah. So, signs and symptoms. Oh, 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 oh. That's basically choking. Oh the choking... Like gagging. For those of us who are not watching us on YouTube, Easter just did a choking motion. <laughs> I forget this is a podcast. Oh yeah. <laughs> um. So basically, intervention is like back blows. Yep. And then chest thrusts. Yep. Um. Pediatric CPR. How many? Maybe. You do five and five. And then if they become unconscious while you're doing your little chest thrust back blows, mm -hmm. um. You're going to start CPR. Yeah. And it's pretty straightforward. 
this wraps up our exam one for a cute review. Oh my god, test is in three days? Two days? <gasps> Today's two Tuesday? Day. Yeah, two days. Wednesday, Thursday, yeah. At this time, we'll probably be done. It's yeah. 2.30. So, anyway, this is our final little review for exam one, exam two, coming soon, sadly. Let's manifest. <laughs> manifest. Do some little affirmations. Okay. I will get a 90. <gasps> On the exam 90. I'm gonna pass. Okay, that's it. I'm going to pass this exam. (laughs) I will be a minimally competent nurse. Yes, yes. I will kill. I wanna murder this acute exam. Oh my god. Anyway, we'll see you guys next time. (laughs) Bye, birds.